Welcome, it's Jeremy Allen Gould. I'm coming to you today to confirm between God and of man that in fact the rumors that you have all heard are true. I started this podcast because I freaking love music, movies, and all things creative. In my life, I've been blessed to be around incredibly gifted artists, musicians, filmmakers, and actors, and everyone in between. This is a place to hear their stories. If you'd like, add me on Instagram and Facebook at the Rumors Are True cast. With that said, the rumors are definitely true. Welcome back to this latest episode of the Rumors Are True podcast. My name is Jeremy, and today I welcome Unoriginal Vinyl's Jason Zymet. Jason and I talk about music, obviously, vinyl, obviously, concerts, obviously. It's an awesome conversation. Uh, we didn't really know each other until this point, so it was awesome to get to know him. And uh, since then, we've been uh, talking quite a bit. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode. He's done so much uh, amazing things for music, uh, vinyl, bands, just an awesome, awesome dude. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode with Jason Zymet. Jason Zymet, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, dude. I'm glad to be here, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inquiring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me uh, what you're up to lately. How, how's things going with uh, Unoriginal Vinyl and, and your life? You know, oddly, Unoriginal Vinyl started as the idea that we could manifest some of these albums that we loved so dearly onto vinyl format for the first time in around 2017, formally. That's what we started calling it. But I had been working on vinyl projects long before that. In fact, was doing test pressing inspection for, for tooth and nail as early as I think 2007 or eight, something like that, letting them know. I, I've never worked for Tooth and Nail, but I was always friend to and around the offices there. Yeah. Up in Seattle, I was working for uh, Jones Soda Company and just hanging out with the guys at Tooth and Nail all the time, listening to the new albums. And in that season of the label's history, Vinyl wasn't a very big thing. It was yeah. all Best Buy CD sales and all of that. So I was always a little bit left of center to their narrative, which was we have to find a way to sell as many units as possible. And sure. with vinyl being a limited capacity format in its very nature and handmade, you know, it wasn't a big priority. But I was always kind of lurking around looking for an opportunity or window to start a vinyl club for yeah. some of my... I don't know, let's call it favorite records. Even at that time, present records that I felt were being neglected on the label that were being overlooked, stuff that might have been a little bit more unknown on the label sure. that I would have loved to see get released on, on vinyl that I thought was perfect for vinyl format. But the label was just doing so much business at Hot Topic or Best sure. Buy. That makes sense. CDs. But I've been around for a long time. My first concert was 90 Pound Wuss, Value Pack, and MXPX in 1996. Oh, wow. And just grew up a youth group kid. Plus, 
more than that, I was never the youth group kid that wanted to burn his secular CDs. I've just been immersed in music and yeah. had a, let's call it a savant style brain for retention of all artists. So yeah. once I started getting into music, it was like I, I needed to know everything about every band. I get it. I get you it. Know? And uh, so when I when I decided and learned sort of a couple loopholes in the changing music industry in 2017, I came up with a plan to essentially rebrand some of these vinyl reissues for, for Tooth and Nail and for some other artists that would, would sort of put a quality seal on them that would be recognizable for fans as this passes the litmus test for all the things we wanted this reissue to be. Sure. It was cool color variants, maybe a retrospective from the artist speaking about it. But I was never nostalgic about just a certain type of music or a certain scene. I wanted to tell multiple stories as they appeared relevant in 2023 and 2020 or 2017 when we started. I just like the idea of telling people stories and what they had learned throughout their life now. I think yeah. that's what you're probably trying to do here with this podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I, you know, I grew up myself just, uh, you know, in the Christian punk rock world, if you will, you know, and, uh, you know, I, my buddies and I, we would, we discovered tooth and nail as, you know, Starflyer 59 focused wish for Eden, all that stuff. And that was just like a game changer, <laughs> you know, from Petra, you know, Petra was still actually, I still love Petra, but you I know, it was, it was a whole different world. And, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, a gateway and a, man, it's just something that I love to live and think about. And cause I, you know, everyone loves to think about the good times, you know? And, uh, so it's just cool to, yeah. So I, I started this because I was like, you know, I've been wanting to do this for so long. I used to book bands in, in 2004 to 2008 or 2009, maybe a little longer than that. Um, you know, and I booked all these bands and they were so cool and, some of the bands I didn't like and some of the bands I liked and, you know, I made money and it was fun and I built, you know, helped build a little scene where I lived and it wasn't about that. I just wanted kids to see what I liked when I went to shows, you know, like when I, you know, lost my mind when I saw, you know, Starfire 59 play in some small little, you know, church with like 20 kids. And I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like, you know, so that's kind of what brought me on that path. And then, you know, now that I'm not doing that anymore and not losing money, <laughs> uh, you know, I thought, hell, I'll, I'll do a, a podcast. You know, I know a ton of people and everyone was like, you should do it. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And I just kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And then finally yeah. did it, you know? So have you always been a Florida panhandle adjacent sort of guy, Northern Florida uh, guy? Yes and no. Um, I, so I was born in Tampa. My dad was a pastor. So we moved around a lot. Um, and so I lived, I lived in Missouri. I lived in Maryland. Actually, Maryland is kind of where my, uh, I discovered kind of like like what I was talking about, the hardcore and tooth and nail and stuff like that. And then when I moved to ja I moved to Jacksonville after that, and then they have a venue here called Murray Hill Theater. And that's like had everyone like, yeah. you know, anyone you can think of came through. And so that's where I got to see a lot of those shows and meet a lot of you know people in the industry. And then I started to be, take note and go you know, I could do this. Like I can totally do this. And I moved to the Midwest and, um, started, I got, got married, have three beautiful kids who are adults now. Um, and I was like, I'm bored. I lived in Kansas and it wasn't fun. No offense to people in Kansas. I wasn't having fun. 
but I, that's why I started booking shows. I was like, I'm gonna, I want to have, a, you know, I, I wrote a couple booking agents, and next thing I know, Haste Today's booking agent was like, hey, you want to do a show? And I was like, sure. And that's the first show I did, and there was 450 kids showed up out of, in a VFW hall in the middle of nowhere. It in was Kansas? just like, yeah, well, it was in Wichita, which is a great town. Yeah, um, but there was, I mean, there were shows there, but it wasn't like this cultivated scene or this, uh, yeah, yeah. you know. One of, my, you know. one of my best friends in the world lives in Arkansas City. Oh, nice, so he, very yeah. cool. Which people yeah. don't know, you have to pronounce Arkansas. Yes, you can't you pronounce it Arkansas. Yes, you get angry with you. They, they both get angry on both sides. <laughs> but also, what's interesting about that part of the world is, if you're a Wizard of Oz fan, you obviously know that there's like the yellow brick road that they follow to the Emerald City. Yes. But, the guy, Frank Baum, who wrote that, knew his geography well enough to remember all of the cobblestone roads that they have or the mm -hmm. brick roads that they have. So there's not only yellow brick roads in the downtown areas of those small towns of southern Kansas, but there's red, obviously, red brick roads. So there's a red brick road going the opposite way from the Emerald City, and then there's the yellow brick road going toward the Emerald City. And the theory is... The red brick road leads Dorothy right back to Kansas. Had she taken that, if she just walked down that red brick road, if you go to Munchkin Town and you see there's a swirl, there's two different colored bricks. One going to the Emerald City, one that's a red brick trail, and she yeah. didn't follow, which oh, would have yeah. taken her right back home because there's so many red brick roads in Kansas. Interesting. Wow. I'm full of uh, useless trivia like that. <laughs> I can't remove that stuff from my I love mind. that, though. That's cool. Could. My brain that's... is filled with all of that type of trivia. In that's... fact, that's I come right. from the perspective of unplug as much as you can and take your kid. I got an eight-year-old. Take them on a road trip. Stop at every time there's a sign on the road that says thing, question mark, uh, arrow. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. those roadside attractions and pit stops along the highways of the United States, I think we're put there every 90 minutes for a reason. Oh, yeah. Because they knew kids got bored. And now kids just – you hand them a tablet and they can cruise for like nine hours. But I know I think it was great when you had to stop and see the world's largest peanut in Durant, Oklahoma, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I missed that one, but I definitely should have paid attention. You know, yeah, you didn't miss much. Although they are doing a time capsule unearthing in Durant, Oklahoma for the world's largest peanut 50 really? years ago in 1973, they buried a bunch of legumes because back in those days, North Dallas suburbs, all the way up into the Oklahoma border, were filled with peanut farms. And it's just peanut dust in the air, rising from the ground constantly from wow. growing peanuts. And uh, that has since changed. Now it's all just suburbs, basically from Dallas all the way to Oklahoma City. It's just suburbs <laughs> the whole way. But they did make a time capsule memorial and bury it in 1973 to be opened this uh, June. Here Interesting. In wow. I, I guess. That's, that's a world I didn't know. That's awesome. That's probably the first thing you thought we'd be talking about. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, you know, I, there's little nerdy nerdy things I talk about that I, people are like, what the hell? Like, well, we could do like, this the whole entire podcast and not even bring up vinyl <laughs> at all. <laughs> Dude, so tell me, what um, – I know you said Value Pack, MXPX. That was your for like. What? Uh, what are some of the bands you loved growing up, man? Just, just tell me what what you had going on. Growing up in Colorado, there was sort of two things that happened in the '90s. One was a, an unusual, pervasive swelling of ska, punk adjacent stuff. So we actually, I worked and produced on a, a documentary called 
pick it up scum and oh movie. yeah i saw that so I didn't see it, but I saw what you should watch it. It's great. Oh, cool. It's the whole story of third wave ska's sort of rising up out of the eighties two tone British invasion scene. Yeah, and because, as you know from your Kansas promoting days, Denver is sort of the middle road stop for all yep. touring bands. Between Absolutely. it's the crossroads of America for bands yep. going from the West Coast to the East Coast and vice versa. So you have to stop in Denver and you have to stop in Kansas. Yeah, uh, in Kansas City, I should say. And so, you know, I grew up in the 90s loving not just the youth group tooth and nail type of music, but anything that came into the ska punk lexicon was sort of my jam. I loved all of the stuff from early Field by Ramen. So the Animal Chins, the Link 80s, the Asian Man Records uh, stuff hippos we i was in a band so we played with a lot of these bands who would come through town i was just young and um, willing to play for free and bring probably 50 60 kids to every show we would play and that was enough for a promoter to say like yeah we'll give them 20 minutes to open this show and so we played with all of the bands coming through all of the local Denver festivals, especially Christian adjacent ones like Tom Fest or Vision Fest or- I went to Vision Fest. Yeah, man, we played there, our band, and uh, we played right after Switchfoot one one morning, I remember, wow. it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, we played with Slick Shoes and and um, Craig's brother and a lot of Five Iron Frenzy. So Five yeah, Iron Frenzy yeah. was sort of the, the cornerstone of our scene from Absolutely. a band perspective, but even, they were playing with Goldfinger, Skank and Pickle. Yep. You know, a lot of shows that introduced my parents to the other music I was listening to besides youth group music. And to be able to justify to your parents that there's a value here. Mm-hmm. There's the preaching among the lost value, you know, Absolutely. with these bands and that you shouldn't shelter me from these lost bands or whatever we <laughs> thought they were back in the day. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll never forget going to a matinee show at the Bluebird with Five Iron Frenzy and the Redemptions. And I'm like, this is going to be great. Matinee show with the Redemptions. And Redemptions get up, first song. They're like, I just got to say, this song's called What the Fuck? (laughs) And my dad's like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? And I'm like, but don't worry, Dad. Five Iron Frenzy's up next. And they're going to They're going to save the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And so there was that happening, but then there was concurrently very, we don't know what to call this music right now, but it's post-grunge alternative kind of hippie jam band stuff. That was a very Mm -hmm. culturally relevant thing that happened in Colorado. So bands that I would see a lot would be in the Blues Traveler, um, Jim Blossoms, Toad the Wet Sprocket, even even into a lot of the... um, more jam bandy, four hour, five hour long sets, widespread panic. Fish. Uh, yeah. Leftover salmon, fish. Fish got banned. Uh, was at the show that they got banned from Red Rocks to ever play again because they had set up a commune for basically a week of nothing but just stoners and camped out hippies. And they just took over the whole town, I mean, for like a week and then left the place in shambles. So, as much as there was this funny Mother Earth first ethos about it, those were the filthiest littering people you've ever seen in your life they just like treated the grounds of red rocks like it was garbage and just their own landfill so um it was interesting to grow up in boulder colorado which is where i grew up where all of that stuff was very much part of the the predominant music scene and still is if you go up into the mountain towns i was just up in keystone on monday and 
You turn on any radio station in the mountains, they're still to this day playing Sister Hazel somewhere Dude. more familiar just straight through. You know? I just saw them last year. Yeah, all that stuff. And I, I love that music. And it makes me kind of feel like uh, I got no beef with it the way that I would get beef with some of my other 90s nostalgia. I've got a whole record collection back here, and there's uh, probably seven cubes filled with 90s music of just 90s Great. rock music. And that has everything from soul coughing to Ace of Bass to everything. Like, it's it's a lot of 90s rock. And as you know, the rock radio format, after Nirvana died, it just became a free-for-all for like yeah, seven did. years where anything could stick. Mighty Boss Jones could stick. Aqua Barbie Girl could stick. Uh, Squirrel and Zippers could stick. And Soul Asylum could stick. It was just yeah. a total bizarro game. And the stuff that has aged the best for me still to this day is the soft alternative contemporary rock radio stuff. I Refreshments, Gin Blossoms, all that. That's amazing. I saw Jim so. Blossoms and Toad last year uh, open for Bare Naked Ladies. It was yeah. amazing. They crush it. They're so good. Like, yeah. it's just incredible band. I love it. I'm a, I'm a huge, like, my favorite, one of my favorite bands of all time is Roger Klein, the Peacemakers. They were called the Refreshments in the 90s, yeah. but now they're called Roger Klein, the Peacemakers. And to this day, I, that Southwestern desert rock jangle pop stuff that they did, that Gin Blossoms did, yeah. that Sidewinders did, Dead Hot Workshop, all these bands uh, really had a unique sound down there that I don't think you can qualify to yeah. people who don't understand. And then the I guess the manifestation of that now is red red dirt stuff from Oklahoma. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know? It's kind of the the, the modern version of that. Like uh Yeah. That Cody Canada and Cross Canadian Ragweed and all those bands. Yeah, yeah. I like said, music. I'm a nerd. Yeah, I dude, I same here. Nerd. Dude, <laughs> same here. Same here. Um, you mentioned Boulder. Did you ever go to Club 156 up there? Yep. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So I saw Jimmy World there. First five-round show I went to was there with uh, Animal Chin, Link 80, and the Hippos. Nice. For sure. Yeah, to, that was in on the campus, I think, the original yep, one. Right yeah. downstairs. Yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of shows there. A lot, yeah, a lot same of here. We, it's weird. We probably were at some of the same shows because I, I lived in Denver for – about a year, you know, go to the Ogden and Bluebird yep. and Mammoth Event Center, uh, Upper Room, Tuesday yep. Night at Your Mom's, like all these, like... I'm sure you saw our band a bunch of times. Though. I might have. My brother was yeah. in a band out there. I, was, I think what I talked to you before, he was in a band called Fourth Year Freshman. They're like a mm -hmm. punk, punk rock band. Uh, yeah, we but, played with them a bunch. Yeah, he was the drummer. So, yeah, um, so, yeah, it's, I loved Denver. I loved living out, loved living out there, but I didn't appreciate it at the time, because... I was, from, you know, I was a Florida boy, and I got out there and, you know, had my heart broken, if you will, from a relationship, and kind of was. I I went to shows. I saw a ton of shows. It was amazing, but I was like always had my heart back here, just in general. So yeah. I only stayed there for about a year, but man, I loved all those venues. I even there. have like this no use hoodie that says more touring this on the back from two thousand. Yeah, because I got that at the Bluebird with when they played Dude. with Dancehall Crashers, and you know. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool. I saw. Um, I think I saw Dance Hall with MXPX there or something. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be probably not as interesting for everybody else. We're just geeking out over here on this podcast, uh, which is fine. That's okay. We've done a few podcasts where people can hear the story about original vinyl elsewhere, but I do like just meeting people who had a similar experience growing up. And I think 
if I was to put words to or language around unoriginal vinyl's purpose right now, it's just to not say, hey, remember that time when this happened? Mm-hmm. It's more to say, here's why this can matter and here's why this can still be relevant to uh, the future generations for these people to tell their stories, the ways that people have learned life lessons about what it was like to be in a band back in the 90s and then how they look back on that and their ability to reflect with some amount of irony and character development along the way is the thing that I want to focus in on for unoriginal vinyl like releases. I want people to pick up any release that we work on and say, this thing looks great. And now I get a story to read and now I get something to interact with. Like, I don't know, like we used to when we would hold a CD in our hands for the first time, right when we bought it and we ripped the plastic off and we're ready to put it into our Sony disc bin and hope that the anti-skip worked long enough in our car that we could hear the songs. three four songs all the way through without a skiff you know like i want that experience to kind of transcend um into a future generation and look at cool artwork blown up as good as it can get you know nobody's ever going to be making poster replications of the life in general bully holding the jock in his arms but maybe we can get close or something that people would be proud of and it's not a game for me it's not a, a social media uh, who's winning likes or followers thing. This is an art design company and we'll take art design projects on if we find them interesting. So yeah. we'll say no to people. We'll say yes to people just based on their vibe, not on how popular they are. You know, the Absolutely. first couple records we worked on were just people that I was vehemently passionate about. One guy's an acoustic guitar player from, from Louisville, Colorado that I grew up in the hometown I grew up in. And he's like a YouTube sensation, but he tours, you know, 20, 30 spots a year. And he deserved to have his record on vinyl to show his kids. So we did Trace Bundy records, two different Trace Bundy records for him um, that he could just sell himself. It's like, there's no money for me to be making off of all of this. You know, like there's money to be now made when you do multiple projects for a graphic design purpose uh, for, for different labels and artists. But that was never what we were thinking about when we started. We just did it because it was the right thing to do to own that thing on vinyl for the first time. And yeah come hook or crook we're gonna do it what um when did you get the i mean i want to continue with this conversation and go with it but i'm just curious like what was the moment where was the moment where you were like i'm gonna do this when i quit social media uh so probably 2016 i was like i was caught up in that i think like i gotta post every day i want to tell a story every day yeah about why I like this record. And I would do that. I did that for like a year straight and I wasn't getting burnt out, but I was starting to ask myself, like, what's the meaning behind all of it? If this social media platform at the time, Instagram goes away tomorrow because of an acquisition, I spent a lot of my time telling these stories to an audience of people who will vaguely remember it in five years. I would like to try something a little bit more permanent, but I don't want to do it by just posting social media posts about my favorite record. Sure. I have to reassess. So I scrapped everything. I just, I nuked all social media that I had and I went away for like over a year and I just decided to put that idea of not being an original person not being an original, like a recreator of other people's intellectual property, be it audio recordings or 
artwork that they had made for the record packaging back in 2003 or 1994 or whatever. Yeah. Just call myself Unoriginal Vinyl as like a brand, you know? Yeah. So I relaunched essentially a brand called Unoriginal Vinyl. And the purpose was to say to people who had followed me back in the day, like the collector has now decided to put his money where his mouth is. Mm. So for the collector people, they were into it. This is rad. He's actually going out and going to try to do it. We've been talking about wanting haste the day, burning bridges on vinyl forever. Yeah. What if somebody actually went out and made it happen? Wouldn't it be Dude. cooler if it was one of us? Absolutely. You know, it wasn't just some company like Universal licensing it out to a company, a corporation yeah. that's just like, let's blow up the CDR. Let's just move on. Yeah. Put it on gold vinyl, call it quits. You know, um, everything that we have done since that day has been a reflection of the joy we have received from being a part of this scene. It's great. You know, just mirroring that back to the world and saying with a very firm tongue, firmly in our cheek, that this is, uh, unoriginal stuff. This is somebody else's work. This is us presenting the best possible way to remember this and celebrate this art that you ever could find. Absolutely, dude. It's I, not through I, streaming. Dude, I, I, before you and I talked, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought everything you've – like just the quality down to just the little details, I have thought are incredible. And like it actually kind of reminds me ironically of – tooth and nail in general because when i was growing up that's what i loved about tooth and nail it was like the little details it was like they had great artwork they had they spent their money on great producers you know that they could afford you know and they just these little details that you know like they didn't just half-ass it they made it to what it is and it's right. it's it's to me i i like that's what you, i feel like you're in the same vein of thought it's like quality 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 and it's like that to me as a record buyer and as a music fan i geek out over that because to me typically if i like the way a record cover looks or you know typically i'm probably gonna like the band at least you know somewhat like the band or at least i right. appreciate it and i think that just to me is the whole package of a record in general it's not just the music it's the artwork it's the you know, the the lyric, you know, pulling out the lyrics, the, the liner notes, like all that stuff is just so essential in a record, at least, at, you know, in the 90s. It was. I want it to be fully immersive of all the senses. I want you to look at it, touch it, listen to it, read it, think about it. I want that to be your experience listening to an album. I love that. Rather than like going, well, I made this cool playlist and there's one Anne Berlin song on it that I like, you yeah. know, like I know Stephen Christian didn't slave away writing in his little journal for, for months and months on yeah. the road trying to craft cities into the sort of beautiful whole album that it is yeah. for the purposes of us just being like yeah stationary stationary is pretty cool jam man i'm gonna put that on my playlist and move on i want people to read about it and i think the idea that you're talking about there is branding like yeah. tooth and nails brand yeah, was so strong and fierce and a force to be reckoned with on any Christian bookshelf and then eventually on any Best Buy shelf or any Hot Topic shelf yep. or record store shelf in general because it was a good brand. And so from day one, I came from soda and selling Jones Soda. Jones Soda is a great brand. Totally. The guy that ran Jones Soda and invented Jones Soda, he wouldn't look into sell soda and sugar water. He wanted a cool brand. 
and he yeah. made a cool brand happen in the 90s and he was absolutely you know voted one of the top innovators in all of fortune 500 when his company wasn't even worth 30 million dollars everybody else on the list top 100 fortune 500 ceos were all billion dollar plus brands and then there's Joan soda at 30 mil who's like killing it with brand recognition for a really small brand and it's like so that's what this is about. Then if you add the unoriginal vinyl logo to your packaging, Equal Vision Records or Solid State Records or anybody else, you name sure. it, Iodine Recordings, you know, like bringing that brand in with you takes like not only the whole audience we'll have on our back along for the ride, but then it also tells a ton of your fans Iodine Recordings cared about this art Absolutely. like Unoriginal Vinyl does, and it becomes a rising tide raises all ships kind of collab. And both brands are elevated as a result, as is Stretch Armstrong's art and music and the painter who painted Rituals of Life, who's yeah, never had his artwork shown anywhere. For the yeah, you're breathing time. life into it, you know? You're, you're Yeah, and making it, trying to be making it relevant. Yeah. It sounds very uh, blowhardy and probably a little bit like uh, highfalutin, but I've thought a lot about all this. That's what yeah. I spent a year off tell. social media doing nothing but thinking about, you know? Like, yeah, you don't sort of come up with these ideas overnight. You yeah. are constantly trying to refine them and get them better and tighter and smarter and realize where your boundaries are and you run up against rough edges with people who are not nice to you as a result of you trying to yeah. do something on a different path and i've certainly had my share of those with artists and bands and managers mostly managers interesting who i have said i will never again work with that camp because their manager is so horrendous you know that's disgusting and that's okay that's fine you know you know like it's a sign of success when you continue and you're able to finally move on from like your hero worship phase sure. of doing this into these are peers and I want to elevate them and they appreciate what I bring to the table from a knowledge standpoint. So people think that I come across as a little bit intense in the way that I speak about this stuff or almost academic, like a professor who's trying to teach things to other yeah. people. But like, this is just the way that I feel and I can't not be authentically passionate about it that's what i want people to understand more than anything. it's just passion it's not absolutely thinking that i have an answer that they don't have i just yeah. i'm passionate about this stuff and i wanted to i want my grandkid to understand what like tooth and nail was yeah historically just like we see box sets for stacks records from the 60s in record stores when we go there and that's not a brand that people, apart from the brand, like they might not be able to name six artists on that label, but it's such a good brand that people recognize it. And yeah. to me, the tooth and nail type stuff made such an impact on my life and multiple other people that I know, their lives as well. It's worth keeping that brand alive. And I don't think that that necessarily gets to happen only through new bands breaking, streaming, and music videos. Yeah. You know? Got to have other things to substantially hold on to, which is why I have a Danielson record 10 inch in my record yeah. collection or whatever, you know? Absolutely. That's great. Um, let me ask you, what uh, what are some of the, your favorite records that you guys have, have been able to do? I know you've done quite a few, but is there any particular ones? You know, I know you mentioned uh, the gentleman that you put out his record just for the hell of it that, you know, wanted to support him. What are, what are yeah. some of the ones that you just are like, hell yeah, I did that? Um, 
as I look through, can you still hear me okay? Is yeah, my audio okay? you're great, man. So, you know, Roadside Monument was really fun because taking the Roadside Monument um, artwork, which is admittedly, like, ghastly bad. Yeah. Ghastly bad. It's blurry. It's distorted. It's uh, enigmatic. It doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. It was almost like I, I sat with John Ford at an Unwed Sailor show, maybe in, in 2017. And I said, I'm going to start a label. And he's like, if anybody's going to do it, you're going to do it. That's awesome. You know? uh, and I was having him sign all my Unwed te Sailor test pressings and all that. And I said, I'm going to put out Roadside Mod. And he's like, that's never going to happen. I don't see it. <laughs> it's not possible. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I'm going to do it. And he's like, but it, I mean, could it sell? Could we sell? That's, I don't understand. Yeah, you know, like, that's the he said the same thing to me when I was like, I heard you doing it. He's like, is it going to sell? Yeah. But um, I thought like this artwork is so bad, but it'd be really fun to make it all 3D. So like we went on to eBay and bought like a giant carton full of 3D glasses. And then yeah. basically just took every layer and rendered every single isolated, every single element to this, including like the paint lines to make it a, a 3D pop out jacket. And it's very subtle, but it adds a texture element to the packaging that makes no sense. So yeah. when I told John and Doug and Matt Johnson and even Scott Hatch from Burnt Toast Vinyl, like, I want to do this in 3D. They're like, but why? This is like an art indie rock band. And I said, because it's unexpected. Yeah. Because it's the thing that you don't imagine a cool indie underground band from Seattle doing. Yeah. Which is exactly why you do it that way. You do it not to be contrary for the sake of, like, fuck art, but you do it for the sake of... Um, it gives it that extra little touch and that little sense of awareness that like this music is not just listened to. This music is experience yeah. felt. Yeah. You, you can almost like look at this cover and it like tastes acrid in your mouth. Yeah. You know no, I, mean? I got you. I want those experiences to sort of be uh, felt. I also really liked doing um, Juliana, uh, Juliana theory. theory. Yeah. Yeah. So this was fun because I think that with Juliana Theory, this artwork was so bad to begin with. Yeah. Like, if you remember, when we restored it, we actually put this girl in front of this really? tower, this satellite tower. If you look at it on the CD artwork, she's translucent oh, okay. for no reason. Um, so this, we, we completely restored the artwork for this from scratch using original photos. And we had um, a lot of cool elements, and we worked with Brett and and Josh Felder, the only two remaining members of Juliana Theory, essentially, uh, in great detail to try to understand for the first time when they weren't under deadlines and constraints for, like, we need to have this album out by this street date. Sure. What was the intention behind it? Like, what did you want it? What story were you trying to tell visually? And, yeah. And, and Brett actually, like, talks about the whole history of everything about the album's release, and I love getting to have that commentary from him. But then more importantly, we did this wraparound tour exclusive VIP package wrap. And inside of it, we put another essay talking about how the artwork came to be, where it started with like a picture of a guy's crotch only. 
And then it moves into a picture of Devin Aoki, the supermodel, which they did not have the rights to publish. Wow. And that got rejected by the label. And then you see here the translucent girl. And then you see, and it's basically Brett telling the story. And you know who he's telling that story to? 100 people who bought the VIP vinyl for their tour. And that's it. Like, those are the only people who, I, I suppose you could probably go into Discogs and read the essay at this point because somebody's yeah. probably scanned it, taken pictures of it. But um, I love to do those uh, those experiments with people having more than one like reason to buy the record. So at Furnace Fest exclusive drops. Yeah. You've got to be at Furnace Fest to get them. Yeah. Uh, and people are like, well, I can't. My life has changed. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I've got a family. You don't get it. You don't get what it's like. I just want you to release the thing that I want the way that I want to get it, which is through pre-order. Yeah. And I wait in a queue. And I'm like, no, man, you're missing it. Life's out there. You have to experience these shows still or these bands go away. Their stories go away forever. Yeah. If we don't give people a reason to still go to shows. <laughs> you know? Totally. I mean, uh, so, so anytime I can mix the the media with the live experience. I think that that's like such a value add for bands. They love yeah. that pitch and the fans who are there get to have almost like a, uh, uh, an experience that you used to have quite commonly, I think in the nineties and early two thousands at shows, which was like the only place you could buy that merch. Yeah. Is that that show. yeah. And then things be kind of became common. So again, not to like, make it sound almost academic in its intention or too sentimental in its intention. I just think that uh, I want to still see you at the show. I want to still be at the show. I still want to get in the pit at the show. Absolutely. So I'd say between Roadside and Juliana Theory, there's a million others. Like We spend a lot of time thinking about these things critically. I I like the ones that we do original art for, like We Were Sharks is a Toronto band we did. Yeah. A, a record that had uh, 12 different inserts in it that you could change out the graphic inside of the car mirror. So you could just see different That's so scenes, cool. scenes going by. That stuff's fun, man. That's awesome, dude. Um, I, I'm, I was going to ask you what's the most challenging, but I feel like both of those are probably would have been <laughs> the answer. Like I'd say I, the most challenging was just doing the first Furnace Fest drop and having in your mind, a number like 1,500 records to get screen printed individually doesn't sound impossible. Yeah. T-shirt companies make screen printed T-shirts all the time, right? Yeah. You just forget that a record, you can't fold over a bunch on top of each other. Like you have to find space yeah. to have those records dry. And, and our buddy Austin up at Mind Over Matter in Chicago had to do every one of those by hand. Wow. And, and we helped any way we could. And uh, just the amount of time that that took and the I'm amount sure. of frustration people felt that it took so long was aggravating. Uh, but there's not a single person who got that finished product and didn't think this is really special. This was Absolutely. worth every every minute I waited in line for this thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They all loved it. And then we simplified the process the second year. So all, yeah. I, all I had to do is hand you an OB strip and it was over. Yeah. Our interaction lasted 20 seconds and then you could buy it at your leisure and then you can go watch your favorite band, not have to wait in a merch row to get it. So yeah. I'm excited to do it again that way, probably this next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, I, I like that you, you know, did it one way, 
learned from <laughs> learned not to do it that way, changed it, and now like you said, simplified it. But it's everyone wins, you know. It's kind of a you know a cool concept that you know that you've been able to modify over the years and you know continue to modify. Well, I think originally as well, you wanted to do a new a new drop every day for the purposes of keeping your brand front and center in people's minds. They go to bed thinking about how am I going to find yeah. that scavenger hunt and solve it the next day and the next day. And so instead of buying merch one time for one band on one day and thinking about them for maybe that 30 minutes, you're waiting in line to get the merch and then you're on to the next, we're keeping the brand visibility going the whole festival all weekend. And then people leading up to it, talking about it and leading after it. And this next year, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. I'd rather just drop all three records at once. And you can tell me you want one day, two day or three day record. Do you want one, two or three records right now to go buy yourself. Yeah. And so that I, you don't have to find me the next day, but if you didn't find me on day one, you, you can still find me on day two or three. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And look at me. I'm like invisible. I'd look like the invisible man in, in those shows. I look like <laughs> nobody. It's the best. <laughs> Nothing memorable. I am uh, tooth and nail called me. Adam Scatula from tooth and nail recently called me the unknowable man. He said, if you were to come to my church and you were new, I, I would, and this isn't a dig at you, I would just not be able to de- define you. Sure, I would agree with that. Even today, like I'm wearing a hat and a no use, so that might be a little bit, but when I take my hat off, look at me, man. When I take off like the no use hoodie, then I'm zero. It's just like a <laughs> suburban person. I get it. Or sort of not, you know? <laughs> I get it, I get it. Um, so... I know I don't want you to obviously spill the beans, but any projects coming up that you're just like super stoked on something that like, you're like, Holy shit, they hit me up or, or things that, you know, I guess kind of allude to maybe some upcoming things without having to spill the beans. Yeah. Um, so for Furnace Fest, the idea for unoriginal vinyl and solid state to collaborate and have a solid state drop, essentially, that's exclusive to them, it's that it's not a collaboration with an, another artist, and it's not uh, something that we want to repress. Uh, we think they'll sell 500 units, probably in total. Sure. Period. Not likely that it'll get a repress. So wow. I think all three titles last year were right on that border's edge of like being the exact right number. Yeah, I think we'd gone 150 more copies of either any of those records. It would have been a disaster. Wow, all, all profitability. So we have to be thinking in those terms. And then a lot of the bands that are playing Furnace Fest this year are now friends of ours. We've already released several of their records. So we have to think about like, do those bands want to be part of the action? And in fairness, it's their art. I want in every possible scenario for there to be a collaboration between the bands having their own variant to sell themselves and make their own money that they paid for and solid state to have a different variant you know what i mean so yeah there's a lot of bands playing furnace fest this year that have hit me up and asked me about doing vinyl for them and in every instance i have taken them off the list of considerations for unoriginal vinyl exclusive drops because i want them to have merch to sell themselves Sure. I want them to have their own variant and their own good feeling leaving the merch row. And I don't want to compete with that, you know what I mean, as much as possible. But there are occasionally bands like Life in Your Way who just said, like, we don't want to buy copies ourselves. We're happy that you're releasing our record. We're happy to put the OB strips on our merch table. And uh, 
but we don't want to like have to worry about shipping down 250 of our own copies down. So uh, there's a there's a situation like that this upcoming year where there's a band who just said, yeah, we're not interested in in buying copies. But uh, that's as much as I can say about it yeah. right now. Yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to uh, spill the beans too much about it. But I think that for our fans of this whole project, once they see what we were going to release, it'll make perfect sense. I've already I've already actually dropped more than enough times intentions to do at least one of these titles and told people that I had already done them. <laughs> I already worked on them in the past. So it was maybe not a good idea when I originally put it out there, but now it's a, a great idea, if that makes sense. That's awesome. That's I, another really thing cool. I will say about all of these projects, it's like I've also learned that there will be circumstances and seasons in which an artist or a management team or a circumstance comes along that makes it impossible for me to want to work with them. But that's only a season. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So for me to say, I'll never work with anybody again, is probably not in my best interest. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. There could be, uh, I wouldn't usually take on uh, a working relationship with a customer or a client or artist or something like that, unless I felt there was really a good purpose at the end to be served. Absolutely. Even if they're themselves not, socially the most graceful or whatever you know no, I, got you. I get it I get so it. yeah I, I can never say never again i guess but uh there's a lot more working outside of tooth and nail this year a lot more uh labels and artists who have hit us up to say like hey can you do what you did for this band or this yeah. package or whatever yeah and uh we're always game to try new things i also like the idea of breaking artists that nobody's ever heard of so i want to do some that too and i don't want to be a label i don't want to sink my own money into any of this i want to be able to get paid for a service which is good branding good presentation good fan experience overall when they receive that end product you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. and if they're willing to hire us as project managers for that then or as just a graphic design service to make mock-ups for them only or whatever like yeah fine. let's do it who cares yeah have you worked with uh vrp Vinyl record pressing in Jacksonville. We have, yeah. We those, those are I worked. I work. They're my two of my best friends. I, I worked with them for a while. Yep. Uh, John, Jonathan and Walt. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the total. I like. I worked. I worked at the when they first opened the factory. I worked there for about a year. Um, but I've Jonathan. I used to tour manage Sun Bears, his old band. Um, and then Walt it was in uh, another local band called Shangri La. It's incredible. Uh, but yeah, those are home. I, think I have that down here somewhere. Shangri-La? Yeah. I Are you freaking so. serious? It's so good, dude. Have you listened to it? Uh-huh. Dude, so Jeremy Griffith just just remixed one of the songs on it, and they sent it to me last night, and it's mind-blowing good. Yeah, I have it somewhere. Dude, it's great. Great yeah, band. Cool. I just had um, the drummer from that band, Mike Von Boston. His son is in a band called Flip Turn. They're, like, really blowing up right now. Cool. Um, playing like Bonnaroo, Lala, all that stuff. I just had him on as well. But um, yeah, man, dude, that's awesome. I, really, I had a feeling you worked for them, but I wasn't 100%. I, I haven't worked for, for them for a little bit, but just super good homies of mine. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's So with vinyl, in case you don't know, like there's two different types of machines that go into making yeah, vinyl. There's yeah. old machines that are called manual presses. Yeah, that's what... And the manual press would be something where... Uh, you would take a bunch of different types of wax and you'd melt it down and you'd wear special protective gloves and you'd essentially shape a puck, 
like this. Yeah. This is a PVC yeah. puck that is melted plastic pellets, right? So you got the plastic pellets right here. Yeah. And then you turn them into a a melty thing. And then if you want to make a splatter, for instance, you take extra little pellets and you kind of dot Put them, them inside. Yeah. The yep. yep. And then it smashes down to make a platter. Um, VRP and a couple other pressing plants that I work with only do automatic loading yeah. uh, machines, which is more like a third man does platter. that too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. they, they don't have the ability to do necessarily uh, cool variants because it's mostly colors and swirls. So like this one's like all black pellets with a little bit of gold. Yeah. So that's what happens when you automatically load pellets into a machine and it just sort of goos out it, yeah. and then smashes it down. But um, yeah, the, I, I like to work with domestic if I can. Sure. Always domestic pressing plants and uh, people who really appreciate the craft of what they're doing. You know what I mean? So uh, when it gets smashed down, by the way, you take this puck and then it smashes it down and then you have your record right here, but then you have the, uh, the foreskin around is what I yeah. call it. It's not called that, but then they trim it yeah. off and then that gets you your, your finished record yeah. um, at the end of the day. These types of things are more common with the automatic, these like dispersion color yeah. variants and things like that. Um, whereas, and they can do some cool starbursts if you just mix the right two colors yep. together into a hopper. Uh, but results can vary on those automatic loading machines. I would say that they are best pressure tested with solid colors almost exclusively instead of trying to do crazy variants all the time on those. Totally. Those are best left for ones that you're doing a, a physical puck manipulation yourself on a manual machine, a manual press. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did, yeah, so I worked with them for quite a while, so I'm super familiar with what you're saying, and it, it makes complete sense what you're, um, you know, saying. I totally get it. It's weird, because I worked there a couple years ago, and it's been, it's like, and in my mind, we're like, they're like, we're going to open a vinyl factory, we, you know, blah, 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 and it's going to be like, oh, it's party time, 24-7, it's going to roll, and then, like, you know, two days in, we're like, this sucks. Like, you know, it's oh, it's, it's cool it's, in theory, but. It's a lot of work. It's a oh, lot of actual skilled labor work. So absolutely, I was skilled labor work too of just like stuffing the records. People don't think about I've they get done so, so finicky many. as if, they get so finicky as if like uh, as these things were all machine assembled and it's easy to just return oh, yeah. something like that and get a new one. But like everything that we do was made by hand, and there's yep. a finite amount of copies. Yep. yep. So you, if you're gonna get like uppity about having to be offered a refund by merch now for a record that was damaged when it was you know in transit and you didn't opt for the extra insurance or something like that and you're really persnickety and emailing me about it like where's my free record jason you put this out <laughs> like, you know all right goes with the territory i guess yeah it's, it's also part of just being in that in-between space of being like a brand partner with a lot of these labels and then people assuming we're a label yeah. we just have all this unlimited capital to refund them ourselves or yeah. extra records. Like I got one copy of every color of most of what we've done. Sometimes sure. there's extra colors that people repress that I don't know about, but um, that's all I have. I don't have like a warehouse filled with anything. Yeah. I got my record collection. That's it. And this was a way to get the coolest records I've ever thought of on vinyl and get to own them for free. You know? So cool. Dude, I love that. So, and that's why it's that. just a hobby. It's not a job. Like it's not my career. Just yeah. do it for fun on the side. Yeah. But, um, 
Sweet, man. That's really cool. Um, so what, uh, any good shows you got coming up that you're going to or anything, anything cool? I want to go to Illuvati. Elevating. Oh yeah. They're great. Yeah. Uh, they're Scandinavian. Where are they playing at? At the Ogden. Okay. So they're like Scandinavian technical death metal, nine members, hurdy gurdy player, fiddle player, a violin and penny whistle player, uh, two female singers, one screamer, uh, just really awesome. interesting questing type of music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going oh, yeah. questing, listening to this. <laughs> uh, Our Last Night's coming. I want to see them. They're reuniting a few new oh, artists. Nice. Um, and then just, you know, there's Red Rock shows galore. Yeah, lots of Red Rock shows and a lot of Weezer's coming to Fiddler's and uh, Nate Bergazzi, the comedian's coming to Red Rock. Oh, nice. Stuff, He's great. Like, stuff like that. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I'm a big Zach Brown band fan too, so he'll come come through town. I think it, it might be this year. I don't remember. Oh, but. cool. That's awesome. Yeah, they're all they're all cool dudes. Yeah, we got uh, tickets to see the Killers coming up and the Smile and uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, Pedro the Lion, of course. He's coming yeah, yeah. through. So. Yeah, man. I just had Jonathan Ford on my podcast actually the other day. He's going to be coming out soon when this comes out. Um, but yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, yeah, we'll he's the about first Taylor. guy I met in 1997 in the offices of Tooth and Nail. He was working really, the order yeah, room. I believe that. He's yeah, such and a I was sweetie. just a kid who snuck in and <laughs> I just went like found the floor that Tooth and Nail was on and then went up there and then went to the back door and opened it up. And there was just like, for me, it was just paradise. It was just, I know I can't imagine super tones shirts and living sacrifice posters. As far as the, eye could see, I love that. And John stumbles out and he just was like the coolest looking Seattle guy ever to me at that time. Like who even looks like this, right? Does this guy, he looked like he stumbled out of the fish market at that moment. (laughs) He had like the full on, Steve Sisu, like, look at the time, yeah, with the beanie and the like feathery blonde hair coming across his eye. Yep. And I'm just yep. like, man, if this is what Seattle is, then sign me up. I yeah, exactly. Live. I gotta exactly. live here when I grow up, dude. He's he's a badass, yeah, he really is. He's uh, he's one of those guys that you just know forever, yeah, even in his real like lifetime right now, is so underappreciated. Oh, 100%. Be 100%. Re- revered by so many musicians the world over. Oh, I know. I know. As long as time goes on, it's going to be like, what was that guy doing? How did he write like that? Yeah. Why didn't he think like that? You know? Um, totally. A true artist. Absolutely. And he's the sweetest guy. It's, it's just awesome to see him still being, I, mean, I was talking about it. It's like, it's just so awesome that he's still being able to do it and, you know, make a living from it. You know, it's great. It's yeah. awesome. And making really great stuff. Oh, still. absolutely. New absolutely. Record, amazing. Mute the charm. It's, it's oh, yeah. Fun. And all the, the, Spartan's done really well with their rec- the, the variants. They look fantastic. Yeah, I mean John Frazier at Spartan, yeah. he and I are really really close still. And uh, you know we we talked a lot about the idea of like whether or not I would just go work at Spartan. Yeah. And work on licensing, or if I should just do my own thing. And I think ultimately I decided I just didn't want to like I didn't want to be in a label in a traditional sense of the label and I, and I could do the licensing stuff, but the idea of it being a graphic design company made way more sense to me, like being more like Ryan Clark and Don Clark than being like John and and trying to A&R bands and develop bands and deal with all the lawyers from Universal and the licensing titles and all that stuff just sounded awful to me. Yeah. 
full I agree time. With you. And I do all that stuff anyways, now that I understand sort of how it works politically. But yeah, uh, I think right at the start, it was like, I'd love to tow my wagon alongside of Spartan because he's just so, so talented. Oh, he's so awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, I got to catch up with him at Furnace Fest last year. It was cool. Like we've talked. Did we about talk there? No, I don't think we did. I, I feel bad saying we didn't, but no, I'm sure we will this next year. But um, yeah, no, it would have been cool. I was there for sure. I was hanging out. Uh, you know Ryan Luther? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so he, yeah, I was hanging out with him, and he he hooked me up. So you run cool. into, did you run into um any of the like the people, the unoriginal vinyl people handing out obs? Or I saw them, and I wanted to get. <laughs> I hate to say this, I wanted to get life in your way, but it was like one of those things where I was like. I'd rather let someone else buy it. My friend got a copy of it and I was like, yeah. I love that record. I think it's fantastic. But at the time it was like, you know how it is. You got to pick and choose records. And it's like financially at that moment, I was like, yeah. I just can't be spending money. You know, that's kind of the beauty enough. of like why we did it that way. Cause we had nothing to lose. Yeah. If it didn't sell out, we didn't bring any assets with us that we had to ship back. Yeah. We can sell any remainders online the next day. gone. And like, there's, it's a win-win. The people who did show up still get the OBs exclusive to their experience. Great. You know, that are hand numbered. So there's like no way that that's a losing proposition. Absolutely. For even the fans, you know? Yeah. And so did you see them? Did you watch Life in Oh, the yeah, Day? they were phenomenal. I saw you. Did you didn't you me? jump out? Yeah. yeah did you see that? <laughs> yeah, you that did. Fun. <laughs> yeah, that's all. it was awesome. It was a good time, man. I was, I'm really looking forward to this year, though. It'll be cool, uh, you know. There's just a ton of, the, of bands that are playing this show that I used to book. So it'll be cool to like bro down you know yeah hang out totally. really yeah, really really looking forward to it i know it's exciting man what, what um, else you got what else are you thinking about anything well you know i'm just man yeah i think you this is a cool bit and a cool conversation i think it's just uh, i like that we're like you know we don't just met each other but it's like i feel like we've known each other for quite a while <laughs> you yeah. know i feel like yeah there's a lot of people who have these shared experiences with the scene we grew up in and the way that we view all of this now, I get caught and stuck with people who think that um, any particular time period was the best time period. Sure. Best time period is always right here and now. Sure. And all the life lessons that I get to have accrued up to this point all feed into me having more enriched, authentic conversations with people. Yeah. As opposed to like, oh, I wish I could just go back to it being 1998 again. And it's like, no, there's no part of me that um, I, I would I would be remiss to have all these great experiences taken away from me to go back to any of those parts Absolutely. of my life. You know? yeah. No, I get it. I get it. And it's not even like, oh, I wish I could have made different choices. I would have made better choices. I would have fixed something. It's like, I don't know. I'm a, I'm like a uh, classic Enneagram 7 optimist enthusiast about life i yeah. just these experiences to get to meet a guy like you who has had a similar coming up you know um and us both revel in it but then also look at each other and be like man it feels good to see my people out there yeah you know i agree, you I agree. Just say it without saying it sometimes i love that uh, it's cool i always tell people i love to see my friends succeed you know i just want the yeah. best you know i want people to crush it and whatever they do you know to me that's what this whole thing is about it's like you holding that thing that that record you always wanted for your whole life and now it's a real thing yeah that's you succeeding that's me helping you get there it's me helping you unlock a memory that was the like last time you got to spend with your dad yeah 
listening to that record or whatever. And now you've got that thing that will always sim like be that symbol or that gateway key for you to unlock that. And that can be a book about Furnace Fest that we did, like the coffee table. Oh, yeah. Right? I never got to see that. I, I wanted to see that. You got to get it. It's great. All right. I'll buy it. I'll yeah, it. it'll be there next year, you know. Okay. I think even if I think VIPs are going to get some or something like that this year okay. if you bought a package. So it's a really, really cool testimony to our scene. And it's the kind of thing that I wish had existed for Cornerstone, you know. Dude, that would have been amazing. Yeah. And I don't think people have even really begun to unpack what that experience is for them. What, what year did you year. go? Did you ever go? I've been a bunch of years, a yeah, lot. Okay. I, my first year was 98, and I hitchhiked there. Nice. Uh, so as a 14-year-old, I hitchhiked. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went in 2000, I think. I went yeah. 2000, I think 2002 or three again, for sure. And, I went um, to Furnace, Furnace Fest in 2000 as well. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like, how do we start to talk about those things other than something that happened a long, 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 long time ago? Yeah. Not even just telling me how great you thought it was or how bad you thought it was or whether it rained or not, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. You get a little like two layers deeper if you can on uh, the meaning that has come from it, the joy or or sorrow or whatever it is. And um, I try to encourage bands to think those things before they write retrospectives for the stuff. And I end up usually editing them a lot, anyways, and getting sure. getting them like they're they're like close to the track and the train of thought they want to be on, you know. But I have yeah. to kind of center the train track for them, and then they go, "Oh, yeah, actually, you just." paraphrased it i just did one recently um i just did one recently for a north carolina or south carolina band where's raleigh north, north carolina. carolina so it was a band from there that uh has a very famous album that came out and i want to say 2002 or 2003 that we're doing a it got to be 20th anniversary i think i know i think i know what you're talking about yeah and uh, another band from carolina who grew up as contemporaries of them that uh, does a podcast that's well known in our scene. Mm -hmm. uh, I asked him to write the retrospective for it. Oh, very and cool. Like, and he was dancing around the point that he was trying to get to. He couldn't quite find it. As a writer, he can speak it sure. orally in in his podcasting language, but writing it presented a different type of challenge for this guy. So I was just like, here's here's the beginning, middle, and end of what the point is trying to make. Now yeah. write everything in between. And then he was like, oh, yeah, that framework actually, no. That metaphor, that works. That doesn't sound like my voice. I'm going to take that out. And I have no ego about it. I don't even need to take credit for, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, his, yeah. it's his writing at that point, you know. That's awesome. Dude, this has been a super cool conversation, man. I, Thanks for I, hanging uh, out. Yeah, man, thank you for hanging out. Let's do it again, man. Let's uh, yeah. let's catch up and, and, and do this. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's going to be... Probably within the next couple months, there's going to be eight to ten releases announced, and so Dude, let's do it. Let's absolutely do it, and we yeah. can we can go over them. That'd be cool. Cool, man. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate it, dude. Glad to do it. Absolutely, man. Let's talk soon. All right. All right, buddy. You can uh, stop recording the call, and I can tell you more. Okay. Hold on. Oh, you know what? I will do that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let me stop the recording. Bye. Hey guys, thank you to the listener for tuning in to this latest episode. I'd also obviously like to thank Jason Zymet for his time. Unoriginal Vinyl is kicking ass right now, so I 
really enjoyed this conversation. It was cool to, I don't know, throw it back and forth and, and just be able to talk about uh, what's influenced both of us, as well as, uh, you know, kind of the upcoming things that we both have uh, going on in our lives. So thank you, Jason, again. Thank you, listener. Add me on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like at the Rooms Are True Cast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Talk to you soon.